Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it's right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with all the fruits of the righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, and to the glory and praise of God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Appreciate that. Last week we talked about this letter. Who wrote it? The Apostle Paul, where it was written from, house arrest in Rome, being chained to a Roman guard in Nero's elite a force that uh, was responsible for protecting his own life. And then in six-hour shifts, they would rotate, or eight-hour shifts, they would rotate uh, and chain themselves to the Apostle Paul. So he was always chained to a Roman guard. And he wrote this book while under arrest, while arguably in a low ebb of Christian living, and yet in the four short chapters of the book of Philippians, the word joy, rejoicing, or glad are mentioned 19 different times. We talked about, though, that the reason that those words were mentioned 19 different times is because of another prominent name or word that's mentioned over and over again in the Philippians. you remember what that is? Jesus. His name is mentioned 40 times. He's a source of our joy. He's the reason this book was written. The gospel is not about... Uh, just a message or a philosophy or a new way of living. The gospel is about somebody, and that someone is Jesus Christ. Amen? And uh, so the Apostle Paul writes this book to a church that he uh, planted and founded in, um, in his uh, third missionary journey in Philippi. He's writing back to them, and he's checking in with them. And like we talked about last week, there are no great doctrinal issues here in the book that he has to contend with. There's a little bit of division in the church, and just a couple of things he addresses. But primarily, he's celebrating their partnership in the gospel. From last week, we took this perspective from the, from the text, and this is the kind of the theme that's going to run through all of this. And that comes from verse 5 of chapter 1. And it says, I thank God for your fellowship, our word partnership, is better translated, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We're calling this series Partners in the Gospel. This is the second part in the series, and the title of this message is Abounding in love, abounding in love. We picked up in verse 7, he comes off of the heels of recognizing and celebrating the partnership that they have in the gospel with the Apostle Paul. Their hearts are knit together around the gospel. We talked about last week, if our hearts are not to get knit together around Jesus and the truth of the gospel, they'll be knit in no other way. The unity we have is the truth that we believe. 
we're set apart by the truth that we believe. We're sanctified, Jesus. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer when he was praying for us, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And so therefore, we, the agreement that we have then we, through the power of the Holy Spirit who wrote this book points to Christ, but the agreement and the unity we have is as we believe in our deep, deepest parts of our heart that this is the word of the living God. It is straight from heaven. It's exactly the way God delivered it up. It is inerrant in its original language. It's perfect. It's from Him. Amen? There's not a part of it that we doubt. There's not a part of it that we contend over. It contends with us. It convicts us. But I can tell you this. This is the word of the living God. And this is the conviction that unites us. And so the word of the living God points to the God of the living word. And His name is Jesus Christ. And so He talks about the partnership that they have. And He talks about the confidence we have that He who began a good work in us is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the reason we can be sure and secure in our salvation. It's because God initiated it, and God is going to finish it. Would we, would we be in trouble if God initiated it and left it up to me and you to finish it? We'd be in trouble. We'd be in real trouble. If I could lose my salvation, I promise you, I would. The same thing, thing, same thing could be said of you, but He who began a good work in us is going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we talked about that good work from Romans eight twenty eight and 29. What is that good work? That good work is that we've been predestined before the foundation of the world to be conformed in the image of God's Son. You can take everything that's going on in your life right now as a believer and put it in that context. If there are people in my life that are aggravating me, slept to death, if there's something that's happened in my past and I find it hard to forgive, if there's a challenge in my life in any measure, or whatever I'm going through, I can sift that through this grid. It is a part of God's sovereign plan to conform me into God's, in the image of God's Son. Did you know that it makes that easier to take? It makes it easier to take. If you know the adversity comes through the sovereign will of a sovereign, benevolent, loving, caring God, and you're in the position, and I'm in the position, and the circumstance that we're in, and it's most optimal that He's working through that to conform us to the image of His Son, and we can rest in the fact that God's in charge. I'm right where I need to be. He's going to complete that work. Now, as we move on into verse 7, we're going to look at, I've outlined it this way. We're going to look at the partnership. We're going to look at that again. We're going to look at the perspective. I want you to see the passion. We're going to look at the prayer. We're going to look at the priorities. And we're going to look at the product. First of all, the partnership. Look at it in verse 7. He just came off the heels of saying, I celebrate this partnership. And he's saying in verse 7, It's right for me to think of you as partners. It's right for me to think of you as partners because I have you in my heart. In so much as both in my chains and the defense of the confirmation and defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of me of this grace. The reason he said it's right for me to think of you as partners is this. This church financially supported the Apostle Paul in his ministry. And he, they also sent one of their own, Epaphroditus, to go minister to him. They were engaged and they were involved in his ministry. What he's saying is, is you know what? You put your money where your mouth is. That You know what? You, you've said, you know what? We're partners in the gospel. I have a vested interest in what God does in your future. I have a vested interest, interest in your life. And I'm willing to take my treasure, which is in heaven, and invest it and send it up there because my treasure is not down here. I remember years ago, 
when I was 12 or 13 years old, I don't know the, remember the exact date, but when I was saved, I was saved at People's Baptist Church in Hazelhurst, Georgia. And the evangelist that came there was came at the invitation of my grandfather who pastored the church. His name was Clebe McClary. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. He's got a pretty prominent ministry, at least had one at one time. He was a Vietnam veteran who had been nearly killed in an ambush in Vietnam. Came within an eyelash of losing his life. And God miraculously saved him and he got saved out of that experience and he's become an evangelist since then and traveled worldwide sharing the gospel and I remember he was standing up there and John's a Vietnam veteran and we're proud and thankful for his service there and he was standing up there in front of the church and he had a patch over his eye because in that ambush he lost one of his eyes he had a little arm thing uh, because a uh, uh, prosthetic on his arm because they blew half of his arm off and there were a couple of other things that were messed up with his body. I remember him standing there in the pulpit proudly in a dress blue uniform because he was a Marine with that patch over his eye. And he got up there and shared the gospel, and I don't remember a word he said. All I remember was, as I was thinking, hurry up and finish because I'm in trouble with God. I'm under deep conviction, and I know that I'm not saved because of my father's faith or my family's faith. It's a personal decision. Lord, I need you. And that's the day I got saved. Twenty-six years later, approximately, I'm the associate pastor of a church here in the area. And the, the senior pastor of the church, unknown to me, invited this evangelist to come and share at our church. And so I told our senior pastor, I said, listen. And I told him the story about my salvation. And I said, this guy, this is a guy. That, and I hadn't seen him since. And, and he, I, I didn't even talk to him the night I got saved. I was a little guy, scared slap to death. So 26 years later, and so when we were meeting in the pastor's office, and he's about to go out and preach, and we've had two services, and he was going to go back in the first service, and he looked over at Brother Cleve, and he said, Brother Cleve, I think Brother Lindsay's got something to share with you that might encourage you. And so I began to tell him my testimony. And I said, I don't know if you remember my grandfather or not. It's 26 years ago. I said, I don't know, at the time it was 26. I said, I don't know if you remember my grandfather or not, but it was 26 years ago you came to his church, a little small church in Hazelhurst, Georgia. He said, I remember your grandfather very well. And he said, whatever happened to him? And I said, well, he went home to be with the Lord in 1990. He said, let me tell you how I remember your grandfather. From that time that he had me and put me up in a little small hotel in Hazelhurst, Georgia, after we left there, I got a check from him for every month until 1990. And I figured something must have happened to him, must have died, or something lost touch with him. But my father, my grandfather, became a partner in the gospel with him. It wasn't a big check, but it was consistent and it was faithful. Because, see, that night, my uncle got saved as well. I've got an uncle that's about the same age as me. And we both got saved that night. And from that night until the, my time, my, father, my grandfather went to heaven. He said, I got a check from your grandfather every month. He said, we've traveled all over the world. He's been on Focus on the Family. He's witnessed in James Dobson's broadcast. He's got a prominent ministry. He said, I've been all over the world, and I've never had anybody consistently give to us on a monthly basis like that. And so God put us all back together. And I remember that when I was studying this text, and I was thinking, you know what? That's what it means to be a partner in the gospel. We have a partner in the gospel in Kenya. We have a partnership over there in Kenya. This week, you, through the ministry of this church, will pay his salary. And there's a church there, and there are people there who've been called out by Jesus into the gospel. And he's preaching the gospel faithfully over there. He has become a Kenyan. He doesn't want to come home anymore. And uh, next time he comes home, it'll be because we probably have to twist his arm. And we've gone over there and traveled over there, and God willing, we'll travel over there again to help witness 
We have a partner in the gospel. We have a partnership in the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? We have a stake in what happens to Pastor Bruce. We have a stake in what... We have a stake in his walk with Christ. The best thing that you could pray for him is that he would walk close with Jesus, keep his eyes on Jesus, and be clean before him. It's the best thing you could pray for him. The enemy would just love. Don't you know that the enemy would just love to take him out? Don't you know that the enemy would just love to make him trip up and fall in front of all of those people that he's broadcast the testimony of the gospel all over that area? He's the only white man within eight hours of there. He attracts some attention. Pray for him. Because we have a partnership in the gospel. How does that partnership manifest? It's manifest in the affection that we have toward one another. The mutual encouragement we are to one another. The financial support that we have for one another. We have a partnership. It's right for us to think of him that way. And you know what? Here in Jerusalem, it's right of us to think of each other that way. We're partners in the gospel. Did you know in the prayer list, if you've noticed, and you look down at the prayer list, there are five prayer requests that stay there. They stay there for our partner in Kenya, Pastor Bruce, who's over there worship, uh, ministering at Calvary Jesus Church in Megory, Kenya. Brother Ray Morris is in the gospel ministry and we're partners with him. Did you know every week we get to go to the Cobb County Prison? And none of y'all have probably ever been there. Pastor Dave did, but that's another story. No, I just cut up. But um, none of you have probably ever been there. But here we are in the prisons, reaching out every week. And you know, how we, you know how it's done? Because Brother Ray's over there every week, one-on-one, sharing with these prisoners about how that Jesus Christ came to die for them and the hope is not over for them. And time and again, we've seen fruit for that ministry. Wendy's sitting here this morning. Do you know we're partners in a, a crisis pregnancy ministry called the Bartow Women's Resource Center in Bartow County? Did you know that we are a part of? Have you ever been to that place? Yeah, you have. Because one of our partners goes over there every week and constantly ministering to these ladies who come in who think hope is over, they have no answers, and many of them are strongly considering aborting their babies. And they have an opportunity to meet a practical need and at the same time share with them the good news, the best news they'll ever hear, that the sin and guilt and all the stuff that goes with it that got them in the place that they're in was taken care of at a place called Calvary. Amen? And then the, the, the Robin and the ones Robin and his wife, um, Nail, and they're going to minister over in Kenya. It looks like, and on it goes. We have these we have these prayer requests every every week. And then Walt Morgan, we're partners with a seminary in Nicaragua. Godly man who leads that seminary and tries his best to make it stay faithful to the Word of God and make no compromises. He's been here and stood in this pulpit before. We're in partnership with Walt. Every student that comes out of there that winds up going and planting a church somewhere in every looking, little nook and cranny of Nicaragua or serving in some area. And he's even got a vision for them to go beyond. They've already sent one out of that mission work there to go to Egypt. How timely is that? To minister. And you know we have a part and parcel in that? We have a partnership in the gospel. I'm like, my goodness alive, let me get to the plate. Let me pray. Let me put me involved. Get me involved in this. Because, brother, here's the deal. You can be assured of this. You're on the winning team when you're a partner in the gospel. Amen? And so the Apostle Paul said, you've sent, you not only sent your money, you sent one of your own to minister to my need. You're, I'm right to say that we're partners in the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When Wendy's sitting in front of a... A, a, a lady who's come in, probably young, confused for sure, 
with doubts and fears about her entire future, which seems to be falling apart right in front of her face, and sits down and has an opportunity, her and others, to share the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're a part of that. We're a part through prayer. We're a part through encouragement, support. One of our own is there. Look what it says. We're partners in the gospel. Don't let the devil diminish your part in that. Don't let him say, well, because I'm not the frontline person, I'm not involved. That's not true. Just because you're not the frontline person does not mean that you're not involved. Amen? Look what it says about that. Who then is Apollos, or Paul, and who then is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apostle, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but it's God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are? He who plants and he who waters are one. They're one. They're one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We're partners in the gospel. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul said, so there's the partnership. Now look at the perspective. I want you to look at this. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1. Look at the, we see the partnership. Now let's, let's look at the perspective. It says in verse 7, Just as it is right for me to think of you all as partners, because I have you in my heart, in so much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. I wrote in the margin of my Bible when I was studying this text many months ago this phrase. Chains, defense, confirmation equals grace. Chains, defense, confirmation equals grace. The perspective is this. Whatever affliction I might be going through and whatever difficulty I might be going through, when I'm a partner in the gospel, it is not indication of God's disfavor. It's an indication of God's favor. It's grace. Anything short of hell is grace. And the difficulty, you know what we are in America? We are mamby-pamby Christians. Say one negative thing about us on the news. Say one negative thing. Have one Supreme Court decision handed down. And all of a sudden we go, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Everybody, it's all so unfair. They don't like us. Look how the media treats us. When we should be going, listen, you hit that cheek, hit this one and well. But I can tell you one thing, you won't shut me up and you won't stop me from loving you. We need to get this perspective. The perspective is this. That if you're going to live is partnership of the gospel, you're going to get in trouble. It's going to cost something. It's not going to mean favor with the world. It's going to mean disfavor with the world and the spirit of the age. That's what it's going to mean. And the Apostle Paul's perspective is this. I'm defending the gospel. I'm confirming it. I have chains and every bit of that's grace. That is unmerited favor from God to me. That was his perspective. We talked about this time and again. Look at look at First Peter two. Let's go look at it. First Peter two. We're going to jump around a couple of times here. Look at First Peter two, verses eighteen through twenty-five. First Peter two, eighteen through twenty-five. 
Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, there was no deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins might live for righteousness by those stripes you were by whose stripes you were healed for you were like sheep going astray but you've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul the apostle paul says if you're suffering as a result of wrongdoing don't celebrate that but if you're suffering as a result of being in the middle of god's will say hallelujah i have been called to this end when we're reviled, we don't revile in return. When we're misunderstood, we don't try to defend ourselves. We defend the gospel, but not ourselves. It's not about us, it's about Him. To suffer for being in the middle of the will of God, which we know little or nothing about, but what we do know about it should not evoke fear, it should not evoke resentment, it should evoke praise. Because you were called to do that. Look at 1 Peter 4. Turn over a couple of times. You're not very far. We're in the right neighborhood. Look at 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. And both of these epistles were written to suffering people who were going through great persecution. If you've got a boss that doesn't understand your Christian stance, if you've got a boss that maligns you, if you've got a boss that demotes you, if you can't make hay with the boss simply because they know where you stand, say, praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Because you know what? They might ignore me for a promotion, but they are not ignoring the Lord who lives within me. We're caught up in the spirit of the age where everybody's suing for and lobbying for their rights. And we get caught up in that Christianity. You know what? We don't have any rights. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. Amen? 1 Peter 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering that when His glory is revealed, you may be also glad with exceeding joy. Look at this verse right here. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I had a friend of mine, and one day, one day, a brother in Christ some folks initiated a coup against his business. And in one day, they had been conspiring. They stole his customer base. He was good to them. They stole his customer base, every one of them professing to be Christians, and overnight took everything that they had 
confidential information to that customer base and started soliciting those customers and drew them over to a business they'd been planning to start and left them high and dry. And he calls up and he says, you know what? The attorney's saying I can sue. They're saying right now, just give me the go-ahead. Just give it to me. Give me the thumbs up and we'll have an injunction against them. We'll put the brakes on this just like that. But every one of these guys profess to be Christians. I said, well, let's go to the Word. And the Word says you cannot sue another brother. I said, I tell you what, your attorney might be giving you courtyard wisdom, but the wisdom of God says let it go and let God be your vengeance. Trust God. And you know what I told him that day? I'll never forget that confirmation. I said, we, get, we went to this Scripture, and I said, here's what God says about you right now. The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I almost found myself envious of him. I did. Because I was thinking, man, look what you, what you reckon, South Georgia, what do you think God's going to do through this? Can you imagine what God might be doing through this? And you know what? To this day, his business thrived. As a matter of fact, the business they took, that niche of business went south, and the business he retained started going gangbusters. And so it was actually a gift from the Lord. It got him away from something that was not as profitable and God replaced that with his most profitable customers. He kept those and his business thrived and prospered through every bit of it. God's trustworthy. Amen? The Spirit of glory. Perspective. Perspective is this. Those who would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're not suffering it now and you want to follow Him, get ready because it's coming. But look at the perspective of the disciples. And we talked about this. But look at Luke 6, 22-23. Partners don't whine. Partners praise. Partners don't whine. Partners praise. We might whine at first, but don't let your whining stay there. Don't keep whining. Let it turn to praise. And say, oh Lord, hallelujah. This doesn't cast doubt on your love for me. This is evidence of your love for me. Look what he said. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name for evil for the Son of Man's sake. What is to be our response? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for your reward is great in heaven for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. We've talked about this before but this is why in Acts chapter 4 and 5 when the crippled man was healed. And the religious guys got mad about it. And they realized, you know, we can't let this go. We can't let this just go. And so they didn't know what to do with the disciples. They called them in and said, we got options. We can beat them up or we can take their life. If we take their life, the people are going to get mad at us because they knew God did this. It's a miraculous thing. We can't ignore it because they're going to garner more power than we could ever imagine if we just ignore it. So let's just beat them up. Tell them not to preach in the name of Jesus. You know what the response was when they left there? They're leaping for joy for being having been counted worthy to suffer on behalf of the name of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit says, leap and jump, rejoice and jump for joy. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed are you. God's favors on you. Let's have long-haul faith here. Let's just don't settle for temporary measures. Let's realize it's not over yet. It's not finished. It's not done. Trust Him in the middle of all of it. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever I'm going through right now, God's trustworthy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. 4 to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake to you God has gifted you not only with the faith to believe in his son but God has gifted you with the great privilege of suffering for his sake. It's a, it's a gift. This is the perspective the Apostle Paul had. In my defense and confirmation of the gospel, he didn't write some letter that says, Woe is me. Don't y'all feel sorry for me? And boy, am I just paying the supreme sacrifice? And, and oh man, give me a star. Give me a reward. Because man, aren't you? Aren't, I'm, I'm just the most faithful Christian you know, aren't I? He, did, he put aside himself. He was, he was giddy. He was slap happy. He was, he was thrilled to be counted worthy to suffer on the name and the behalf of the gospel. He said, no, praise God for that. And when it happens to you, you praise Him as well. Hallelujah. It's a gift. It's been granted. It's grace. It's favor. That's the perspective. So we looked at the partnership. It's right for me to feel like your partners because your money and your investment with Epaphroditus... The perspective is chains, defense, and confirmation equals grace. It is grace. And can I say this to you? The Bible says to be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. Okay? It doesn't say be ready to argue about faith. It doesn't say that at all. The gospel is not a debate. It is not a discussion. It is a declaration. It is not an argument. It is a revelation is what it is. It is not an argument. And it doesn't say defense in the sense that I'm going to defend my position and I'm going to prove to you it's not that. It's a defense of how you can have hope in the middle of suffering. So what it is, is this. He said, in my defense of the gospel, it's like this. you got the Apostle Paul who's a frail man who probably can't see very well. He's chained to a praetorian guard straight from Nero's group who could probably cut him in half and probably put his hand around his neck and choke him with, without a batter of an eye. And yet, they change hands and say, God, you're not going to believe this. This guy, in the middle of all this, he'll break out and sing. All of a sudden, he'll just break out and sing. And he can't sing. But I'm telling you right now, he'll just break out in song. And all of a sudden, he'll just start praising his God. He might even raise his hand like that and worship. And he talks to God as if God's personal. This God he talks to, he talks to him like he knows him. And it, it seems like he talks back to him. And they have some kind of relationship going on. And that relationship sustains him. And you know what? I'm convinced he pays no attention to this change whatsoever. As a matter of fact, this nut has begun to tell me about him. It wasn't that the Apostle Paul was going to the Roman Garden saying, you believe in evolution, huh? Well, let me just tell you this. There's a tar pit in Indiana in which there's a big footprint and this is all the same. And I could, No, it's not that. He would say, listen, buddy, I've got joy, inexpressible and full of glory. And the guy's going, what is the reason for the hope that's within you? Defend your position. How can you have joy? That's the defense. Hallelujah! How can you have joy? When's the last time somebody asked you to defend your joy? Okay.
stop there. That got me. Think about that. The defense was over joy. How could you be joyful? Do you know that Nero hates your guts? Do you know that looming over your head is probably they're going to torch you at one of his garden parties? Do you know that? Do you know that you're in big time trouble? Do you know that in the ebb and flow of things, your life weighs in the balance? And he goes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And he goes off doing like that. And they go, you know what? He's either lost his mind or he's got something I flat need. I don't, I'm telling you this right now. I dare say in our circles that people are hardly ever perplexed by the joy that we possess in spite of our circumstances. But if we're walking with Jesus, that's what they were to be perplexed over. In my defense and my confirmation of the gospel, that's the perspective, Pat. The perspective is our God reigns. What do you do with a guy like that? You try to kill him? He says to me, he lives, Christ has died. Game. Isn't that aggravating? We kill him, he goes home, we'll be in heaven. We let him stay around, he keeps witnessing. <clears throat> Look at the passion. The partnership. It's right for me to think of you as partners. Look at the perspective. He says, hey, hallelujah. This is all grace. And look at the passion. I love this. I love this. Look what he says in the next verse. You are partakers of me of grace. For God is my witness of how greatly I long for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Don't you just love it that when the Apostle Paul when Jesus invaded the Apostle Paul's life, he was called Saul at the time. He was on the Damascus Road, headed to persecute Christians. Had just come off of killing one named Stephen. And he's on the Damascus Road and God disrupts his life the way he does if you do encounter him. And you know what the Bible says? I love this. He said, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't stone Jesus. He didn't have the ability to stone Jesus. He's at the Father's right hand, way beyond any slingshot. But God is so identified and He's so affectionate, He's so knit, He's so one with His people that to persecute His people is to persecute Him. There's an affection that Christ has for you. It's, it's, we're, 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 we know we don't base our, our lives on emotion, but you know love carries emotion. If anyone in here, any of us, begin to take, talk about our children long enough, usually as we're going to shed a tear. Especially when we're in Walmart and running all over the store. But we're going to shed a tear because you know what? There's nothing wrong with getting emotional about things you love. Or people you love. And the affection. The Apostle Paul writes with this affection and says, The reason my prayers are so effective for you is because I love you. And I have an affection for you. That's the passion. You know what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15? You don't have to look there unless you want to. He said this to the Corinthian church who greatly misunderstood him because he was trying to, to, to bring them back into the fold, trying to encourage them and, and, and get them retooled toward Jesus Christ. And it says this, I will very, will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved by you. 
He said this, I'm willing to be spent for your spiritual benefit. Whether you ever respond to me in love or not, I love you. Man, that's Jesus. That's Jesus speaking through a man who decided to let Jesus have his way with him. He's got affection for his church. We see the partnership. We see the perspective. We see the passion. And now we see the prayer. Look at verse 9. And this, and in this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Go look across the column. If it's that way in your Bible, it might be further down. I don't know. But look what it says in verse 4. And always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you. What's the, what's the prayer? We'll go right back over to this verse and you'll find out what it is. My prayer is that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Partners in the gospel have love for one another. Partners in the gospel have love for one another. And the Apostle Paul knew what was at stake here. If we don't love one another... If we don't love one another, no one will accuse us of being Christ's disciple. I appreciate your testimony this morning, Alex. That really blessed me. You blessed me. And the, the notes of encouragement. Did you hear that? All week long, he's been going and looking at these notes of encouragement. And you thought that was just some scribble. And No, you didn't. But I'm just saying, do you understand how important that is? And there it is right there. And it encouraged him throughout the week because they're going through a difficult time. And it encouraged him. Thank God for the body of Christ. I appreciate the way you said that. That doesn't brag on us. That brags on him. He's the one that did that. But that's the way it's supposed to work. Amen? Care to guess of the three Greek words that, that could potentially be that could potentially be used to, to translate that word love? Care to guess which one that is? It's agape. You remember how we define agape love when we were doing our study on 1 Corinthians 13? Being willing to give up your life for the spiritual benefit of others. That's the kind of love that God wants us to see. I'm willing to be... Are you willing to spend and be spent for the benefit of other people in the body of Christ? Am I willing? Are we willing? It's a fair question, isn't it? I know one thing. I can tell you this. I'm an only child. Explains a lot. I was cutting up. People kidding me about that all my life. There's nothing wrong with only children. But anyhow, I'm an only child. And all my life I just dreamed of having a brother or sister. I used to do that. I used to fantasize. There were some people in my class and I used to fantasize about what it would be if they were a brother or sister. Now they've grown up. I thank God they weren't. But anyhow, uh, so... Um, and one of the, I'm telling you, one of the passions of my life and something that's really important to me, really important to me, is that my children love one another. That's real important to me. That's, that, is, that is way up there on my desires and my prayer for them as they have love for one another. Because I know what it's like not to have a brother or sister. And I tell them that all the time. They're tired of hearing it. I say, now wait a minute, hold on just one second. Just think if Abigail weren't around. Give a moment's thought to that, and you got so aggravated with her a while ago, you wanted to kick her out of the house. Give a thought. Just give a moment's thought to the fact that what if she really wasn't here? And it's a passion of mine that my children love one another. I'm an old man, like Abraham. We keep having children. And then here I am, and knowing one day that, you know, when my time's over on this earth, I want to leave behind a group of children who flat love one another because they're going to need one another. Amen? And boy, the Lord spoke to me one day and said, Son, 
If you feel that way about your children, what do you think I feel about mine? Grieves the heart of God if we don't love one another. The Apostle Paul's prayer was this. If we're going to be partners, we've got, we've got to love one another. And I know you love each other. This could be said of us by God's grace of household of faith. In this I pray that your love may what? Abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Informed love. One of the greatest lyrics of any song I've ever heard was this. That Christ willed to die for us in spite of what He knew about us. What did He know about us? Everything. And He still died for us. You know what? We're all a bunch of imperfect people. I'm at the front of that line. We're in process. But we've got this confidence. No matter where you're at in your spiritual maturity, no matter where I'm at in mine, I can tell you this. And even if you lag behind and you never move forward, and if I lag behind and never move forward, did you know what? There's going to come a day that He's going to complete the work He began in us. Why don't we just start looking at each other? Right, rather than looking at each other for where we are, let's look at each other for where He's got us headed. That's the way Jesus looked at Peter. Looked at that ragtag bunch and said, buddy, there's going to be a bold one that emerges from this, but he's too bold on his own right now. He's trusting his own strength, so I've got to break him. But after I break him, I'm going to have that guy stand up at Pentecost one day and 3,000 people, and I'm going to grant saving faith to, and my church is going to be born. When he went back, don't you love this? Just this little phrase in the Bible. It's one of the most encouraging words in the Bible. It's just two words. I've got it memorized. I got Jesus wept memorized, and I got this one memorized, Chad. This is it. When he went over and he got the disciples and told them to come to him because he'd risen from the dead, he said, And Peter. Did you know that? The Bible says, Go get the disciples and Peter. It was just a little highlight there to say, I'm not finished with him. I'm not finished with him. And you know what? You can put your name in there. Wherever you've been, and Lindsay, and whatever. I'm not finished with you yet. Hallelujah for that. Amen? The love. I want you to understand what is the length, the width, the depth, and the height. You cannot love unless you realize that you're deeply loved. You cannot deeply love until you realize you're deeply loved. That's why we should spend some time and make it our business to let God speak for Himself and communicate to us from His Word what is the width, the length, the height, and the breadth of His love which surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 14-21. And knowledge and all discernment. Inform love. Jesus is looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. In discernment. In the body of Christ. Sometimes, you know what? It's right to help. And sometimes it's right to rescue somebody. And sometimes it's right not to. You have to have discernment to know the difference. That's one of the greatest challenges in ministry that I've found to be over the years. When do you step in and help? And when is it a sinful choice to step in and help? When do you become an enabler? When do you get between them and their crypt to Calvary? Who are you to do that? And who am I to do that? Let them be broken. Let them be broken before the Lord and spent so they can get to the point where they're dependent upon Him. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says this. This is how they're going to know that you're my disciples. You have love for one another. You know what? Let's borrow a phrase from Nike. Just do it. You find out there's a need. We don't have to have a program that says we've got a program and a ministry called this. And then this, and until we get that program, we're not going to meet needs. 
just do it. The Apostle John said this, Let us not love in word, but let us love in action, in deed. Let's put it out there. Let's do what love does and let's act. Let's, and it says this, By this we know love, that Christ died for our sins. Start there. See what we're doing? We're trying to take our love, which is inferior, and dole it out to somebody else. When we be, should be taking God's love, which is superior, and doling it out to others. God's love is in a category all its own. Every last person in here, and every person in the world, is the object of God's love. Everybody. When you're saved, you become the recipient of God's love. When you suffer in persecution and trial and tribulation and continue to persevere, you understand God's love. That's when you begin to understand God's love. And see, when you begin to understand it and grow in it, then you get fairly happy about extending it to other people. Having received it, you want it to flow to other people because you know that you got it the same way they'll get it. It's unconditional. It is unconditional. It is unconditional. Did you hear that? The love of God is unconditional. And you, in your best earthly relationships, do not know what that means. Take the best one. Think of the person who loves you the most. Still doesn't reach that. God's love is not something we can emulate. God's love is not something we can, we can reproduce. God's love is only something we can receive. Amen? So we see the partnership mismatch. We see the perspective. We see the passion. We see the prayer. Now we see the priorities. Look at this. He said, This I pray, that your love may abound in all knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Approve means that you may be able to discern what is counterfeit. You know, we've talked about this before, but I love this example, Hannah. This is a really good example. You know, I've witnessed to uh, Muslims before, which I'm sure you have too. I've witnessed to New Age people. I've witnessed to just about every type of person you can imagine. So have you. And this is what I've found to be the case. I do not need to know what they believe in order to be an effective witness. I need to know what I believe. Now let me tell you this. Most Christians don't know what they believe. Let me tell you this. The Secret Service has caught on to this. The Secret Service is responsible for detecting counterfeit bills. Back when I worked in the banking business, if we picked up on a counterfeit, and the teller, most of them, when they flip through a stack of 20s, if they see a real good counterfeit, boy, it stands out like a, like a New York minute. It stands right out. And this is how they train. You know how they train? Remember the analogy? They do not train a secret serviceman to recognize a counterfeit by studying good counterfeits. They train them to recognize a counterfeit by meticulously studying a real one. And when you know the real one, a counterfeit stands out like that. This is what we need to be about our faith. We don't need to be going around studying every kind of, every kind of nook and cranny and ism there is out there. It's good to be informed about them, but the way to be an effective witness is to know what you believe based on God's Word. And then the counterfeit will stand out. You'll have, a, you'll, have a, you'll have something to say. You'll know and you'll be able to recognize. Approve the things that are excellent. Approve the things that are real. And that word excellent means differ. It means you're to be different. You're to be set apart. 
You and I are set apart. We are different. And that hinges upon this verse. This verse, and that is this. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. You seek Him first. I seek Him first. And everything else we need, we need to discern what's real and what's not. Everything we need to approve the things that are excellent. Can I say this to you? And I know this to be true about my life. And I know I'm sure it's true to, about yours. There are probably some things in your life right now that are not supposed to be there. There are probably some time commitments and maybe some things that you're doing right now that you're not supposed to be doing. And the only one who can tell you that is the Lord. And if you go before Him with your schedule and your priorities and say, Lord, this is my idea of how I ought to live, but I don't belong to me anymore. So I want you to tell me how. And if there are things in here that are not of you, I want you to show me what they are and I repent of them and I get rid of them out of my life. You this last week, Billy Graham they interviewed him. He's 94 years old now. We were talking about this last night. Billy Graham is, I think, 94 years old now. And they just interviewed him and they're about to put the interview in Christianity Today. 94. And the part of the article is regrets. Things that he wished he could change over his 94-year or 94-year life. When somebody who lived to be 94 goes back, Patty, and assesses their life and they say, these are the changes, these are things I would change. We were to listen to them might save us some problems. Did you know what he said? The first one, which is the article I read, they zoned in on this one the most. I wouldn't be as political. I wouldn't be involved in politics like I was. You know what the second one was? I wouldn't take nearly as many speaking engagements as I took. I would study the Bible more, and I would have spent more time with my family. Did you hear that? In other words, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. Approve the things that are excellent. There are things that are in my life and things that are in your life right now that probably are not of the Lord. I'm not talking about sin, like you know, some, some blatant immorality. We know that should be out. I'm talking about commitments that we've made that have attached ourselves. They've attached to us. And they're less than what God has for us. I want you to look at the product now and we'll finish. What's the product? The product is this. You may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Because the product of it is being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory of God. The product of someone who's in partnership with the Lord, who has His perspective about their circumstances, who has a passion for His people because they realize that He has a passion for them, who has a prayer to grow in the love of Jesus and let it be uh, to grow in the knowledge of the love of Christ so that it fills me to overflowing and spills out on other people. The person who has the right priorities in place and seeks first the kingdom of God, the product of that will be the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, character development. That you're the real deal. This word here, and you know this and you've heard this before, I'm sure. But when it says sincere and when it says out without offense, that word sincere means genuine. You know that. But it also literally means tested by sunlight. Now what that means is this. During that time period, if somebody was a potter and they put together a, a, a bowl, let's say, and they knew it to be inferior because it had cracks in it, what they would do is they would take wax and put wax inside the cracks to hide, to hide the, um, the flaws. 
and try to sell it to someone and pass it off as being flawless. So they put the, the wax inside the, inside the cracks and then paint over them. And the only way, Melissa, to detect the crack, to see if it was there, is to put it in sunlight. And if you put it in sunlight and leave it there, the sun will melt away the wax and expose the cracks. And that's what he's saying right now. The only way that you and I can walk with Jesus is we've got to be exposed to sunlight. And you know what? If, if, if we've been responding correctly to Him, if we've let Him have His way with us, we'll be weighed in the balances and we will not be found wanting. And we'll be found to be real, not perfect, but real, authentic, legitimate believers. And the fruit of righteousness will flow from that. My, how we need that in this day of deceit, Brother Al. Because they're not, people are not looking for you and I to be perfect. I'll assure you of that. Sometimes they do. Best thing to do with that is admit when you're not. That'll take care of that. Admit that you are not. And then when you're not perfect, admit it. But I tell you what they're looking for, bro. They're looking for authenticity. Because in this age of spin, it's like to know that somebody out there is really real. Amen? But exposed to sunlight. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Why? Because a righteous man's got nothing to hide. Amen? I'm going to let my life be exposed to the sunlight. See where the cracks are. Let's fix them through repentance, faith in Christ. Let Him have His way with us. And what's the product? The product is a righteous life. Put on display in front of people. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Fruit, fruit, fruit. And Jesus said this about fruit. He, it really, it really makes, him, it, it makes him angry when there's fruitlessness. He cursed the fig tree because there was no fruit on it. He doesn't like fruitlessness. And Jesus said this about fruit. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So will you be my disciples without. So will you be my disciples. John 15, 8. Fruitfulness glorifies God. And look how it ends right there. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus. They're not produced by you and I. They're just born by you and I. We don't produce them. We bear them. We don't produce them. They're by Jesus Christ, and what do they do? They bring glory and praise to God. Let's be partners of the gospel. Let's be knit together in Jesus. Let's let Him. Let's let Him tell us what that partnership looks like. Let's gain a perspective biblically about what we're going through. Let's operate not on our feelings, but on the truth. Let's 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 go to the Scriptures and let God speak for Himself. Everybody speaks for God. Let God speak for Himself right here. He's already told us everything. Just let him speak for himself. Don't try to reinvent him. Don't try to manipulate him or change him. Just let him speak for himself. He's got that down. He's all right with that. He's best at that. And then let him speak for himself. And let's gain his perspective about things. When your feelings don't line up with the truth, go with the truth. And then let's have passion for our Lord and one another. Let that spill out on a passionate affection toward one another. And then let's pray that we'll grow and abound in love. And when we do that, that we'll seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. God will order our priorities. And then He will trim us and mold us and fashion us to a place where He can use us and display through us the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And God will begin to be able, and others will be able to be able to see in you and I 
the real deal. Amen.